and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 20, Doctoral Research in Progress, with Emma. Hello and a warm welcome back to the podcast and it's a warm welcome back to campus for more of us here in the university and that means we are finally back in a room together with our beloved wires and microphones. We are, we are back in a room that feels cold. (laughs) (laughs) Because all the windows are open because we're good. But no, it's definitely good to be here in person and not having to uh, tackle all of the Wi-Fi issues that usually happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or my fan being loud or, you know, my dog just creating problems. So, uh, yes, very happy to be back on campus, although sad to not be outdoors. Maybe we'll do uh, a future episode outdoors again. Yes, we had an outdoor recording ready to go. We had big fluffy microphones ready to go and then it just absolutely poured down. So we have retreated into a large room full of windows, wide open. Covid safe. Covid safe, socially (laughs) distanced, long wires. Yes, there we go. So... We have no special guest for this episode. We've decided that since we've spent almost all of this year riding on the coattails of wonderful, generous people and uh, limiting our contributions pretty much to just asking questions of of people who know more than us about stuff, we'd better contribute something ourselves before the end of the year. (laughs) So you may have picked up some various mentions at, at different points on the podcast that the pair of us are doing doctoral research at the moment which is uh, loads of fun in a, a very special definition of the word fun <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to take it in turns to talk you through what we've got so far on our separate pieces of doctoral research and Emma has drawn the short straw and agreed to go first because she's written more of hers than I have <laughs> uh, not sure that's true but um, so, yeah, yeah we'll see it's got some some more polished bits than, than mine, which is just a, a single file called Tom PhD with various ramblings in it, which I'm <laughs> going to send to you in time for next episode. So Emma's agreed uh, to talk me through what she's got so far. And I suppose before we do anything else, Emma, I'm doing a PhD, which is possibly the doctoral qualification that, that you know people who don't know very much about doctoral qualifications will have heard of. You are doing the rarefied EDD which is a slightly different animal. Still still means you're going to be Dr. Thayer at some point in the unknown future. <laughs> but what is actually the difference between a PhD and an EDD, as uh, you understand it? It's a very good question. So the EDD is kind of a pathway or a version of a professional doctorate. So I'm doing a professional doctorate and my version is EDD. Um, And it has the same status and challenges as a PhD, I would like to state (laughs) right off the bat, but there are subtle differences. So I went to um, the kind of programme handbook for my ED just to kind of make sure I had the right idea on this front. And quoting directly from that, a PhD should develop new knowledge and or theory, whereas a prof doc, a professional doctorate, should be informed by existing knowledge and or theory. So it's the informed by existing knowledge or theory that I suppose is the is the subtle difference. And I guess what makes the prof doc unique is that the focus or the need for the student of said prof doc, i.e. me, is often born out of a contextually specific need or a catalyst for change that's relevant to that individual student. So uh, 
why did I decide to go this road? Well, actually, I started out on a PhD, I'm just going to be honest. And I was finding it really quite challenging because it didn't have... um, I'm sure there probably was a lot more guidance than maybe I was tapping into, but um, a PhD was, was just kind of this big, massive kind of output written output that was looming above me that I just couldn't for love nor money get a kind of purchase on the appeal of an eddy or prof doc is that it's modular so the the program structure is completed in three phases and each phase has uh, a couple of modules attached to it And that was appealing for me because it gave me the structure and a drumbeat to work to alongside my busy full-time role as a senior lecturer um, of drama. And that's not to say that, you know, people doing PhDs like Tom aren't, you know, also trying to juggle things. Um, But it just suited me because it was designed to actually bring two worlds together. So I was transitioning from, I'm still transitioning from master's level, level seven to um, doctoral level, level eight. And as a practitioner, kind of professionally trying to balance my studies and my day job, the prof doc was designed to kind of bring those two worlds together. So you're investigating and hoping to initiate changes that will reap positive outcomes for you and possibly your organisation too through your prof doc. So this could potentially be something that's of great interest to our listeners who are still working in the classroom. There's much more of a culture of doing masters and even dare I say it doctorates now out there in the teaching profession and as you say you know the PhD is just this massive piece of writing I mean it suits me because I'm a loner and I just want to go away and do my thing and come back at the end of it Um, but for someone who's maybe thinking about further study who is working in the classroom I guess this might be of interest because potentially it's much easier to balance with a day job because you kind of do it about your day job don't you? Yeah that's it and um, what we're going to talk about today is the first assignment that I did and this is just great for me you know I was finding I was getting nowhere with the PhD and then when I transferred to the EdD it was like right first thing you've got to do is this assignment do that and I was like okay I'll do that then so I have <laughs> um yeah so yeah I've had a have had a look at that you've you've uh, impressed me greatly by handing in a polished piece of writing which is more than I've got at the moment for mine uh, because of the different structures involved and I noticed that you you outline at the start the context in which you exist as a practitioner, which of course is the curriculum reforms here in Wales, and I suppose more kind of in in a more focused way than that even, the reforms to initial teacher education. So we're all in the middle of big change. We know that not everyone that listens to this podcast is in Wales. Um, So can you just really quickly kind of outline what it is that you've lived through as a practitioner in terms of those reforms to initial teacher education and the curriculum more widely? Yeah, I'll try my best to be brief, but I'm not known for brevity, so I'll I'll try my best. Okay, so international and national policy and research at the time of, I suppose we're looking at 2015, when... Successful Futures was published by Professor Graham Donaldson, who we've had on our podcast. Um, So a lot of change was being initiated by the kind of broader landscape of change and education reform that was going on, that was calling for, as Graham Donaldson talked about in his um, interview for our podcast, the need for a future-proofed curriculum that addresses the needs and challenges faced by a new generation of learners. Um, So a lot of stuff was going on 
nationally and internationally and in the same year in 2015 we had Donaldson's Successful Futures and we also had the Furlong Report which was looking at the state of play for initial teacher education in Wales and looking at any kind of key concerns that would feed into reforms to initial teacher education that kind of fell into that broader kind of suite of reforms that you know was going on across Wales that included the curriculum but also included ITE. So the issues that Furlong identified, this is Professor John Furlong, he identified that in teacher education in Wales, there were issues and concerns about the quality of teacher recruitment and also the quality of teacher education provision. And he made some recommendations about the way that we could go in order to address those key concerns. Welsh Government accepted all of Furlong's recommendations and they then initiated, along with the Education Workforce Council, who are our independent regulator for the education workforce in Wales, they initiated this really rigorous tendering process whereby ITE providers existing and those who wish to offer ITE in their establishments across Wales, they had to redesign and rebid for accreditation, accrediting powers to be able to deliver ITE programmes. So this was a really great opportunity for us at my institution, Cardiff Met, and it kind of coincided with Tom and I sort of starting out as newbies in the ITE world. And it was just a great time to be coming into ITE because we'd seen the old programmes um, and we'd worked on the old programmes and we were really highly involved in the process of designing the new. And in order to do that, it was an opportunity for us to have a look at models for ITE nationally and internationally. So we looked at Singapore. We also looked at Oxford University and their model. It was their model in the end that was the kind of most influential on the one that we went for. But it was also an opportunity, again alongside the recommendations from Furlong, to co-construct these new programmes with colleagues across ITE um, associated with our institution, but also colleagues from schools and other partners who we'd never worked with before. So it was this really great environment of co-construction, analysing what was wrong with the old, thinking about, you know, a vision for what IT could be. And it was aimed at sort of bringing us all together, but also in the spirit of making us more jointly accountable for the training and education of teachers. Again, another recommendation coming through from Furlong was that, you know, there was too much of a divide between the, the, the two sort of traditional settings that teacher trainees inhabit, which are, you know, the school and the university and never the twain shall meet. And after much time and effort deliberating about this and thinking about it and actually engaging with quite a bit of research, we decided that the model that was going to be best um, for us at Cardiff Met and the Cardiff Partnership, which was newly formed from this process, was a research-informed clinical practice model of ITE. And one of our, our partners um, who are sort of signed up to give us continuous advice throughout the process of designing and, and, and continuing to deliver these programmes was Oxford University. Um, and a paper by Burns and Mutton, which I'm not going to go into in detail, but talks about the benefits of a, clin- a research-informed clinical practice model. 
In a nutshell, it's a much more collaborative model which is designed to encourage students to integrate different types of professional knowledge more easily and purposefully than before. So not seeing this divide of, you know, when I'm in school, I'm doing this, and when I'm in uni, I'm doing this, or I'm learning this. It's about bringing those two worlds together and making a much more kind of seamless opportunity for students to kind of interrogate all these different types of knowledge and then decide how best to proceed in the classroom. And I distinctly remember that day when we were we, we discovered that we'd been okay with our with our bid and we'd been given it and knowing that we then <laughs> had to actually turn that into a workable programme. And here we are a couple of years and a global pandemic later still trying to embed that that kind of cooperative working with our schools and all of that. But of course, one of the fun things about a doctorate is that you, you can't look at the broad sweep like that because you you know you'd you'd be doing it for your whole life so you have to focus it down that's one of the one of the fun parts of doing a doctorate yeah so I suppose the obvious focus for you is your subject specialism because as secondary colleagues we we kind of live and die by our identity through our subject and drama is a big part of what you're you're looking at this through so what do these education reforms, both kind of in school and in ITE, I suppose, look like when, when you look at them through a drama subject specific lens? Yeah, really good question. OK, so any type of reform or change usually has to start with you asking questions about who you are and why you want to change and what the future might look like if you do change so it kind of it really does it causes a a bit of an identity crisis so I had to ask myself as an ITE uh, tutor in this new world of a new research informed clinical practice model who am I and what am I for in that uh, new model how is my role the same and different to that of a school drama mentor so It's important to mention that, you know, two really important people in the equation of training teachers, and in my case, drama teachers, are the school-based drama mentor who is a qualified teacher themselves, and they're working in the classroom on a daily basis, and they work directly with the student teacher whilst they're on placement. So I had to kind of look at my role and their role in this whole new world of a much more collaborative partnership, And there was a lot of other research that was saying that, you know, the role of the mentor in a research-informed clinical practice model is different. They they are also responsible for helping the student teacher kind of interrogate different types of knowledge, which is not just, you know, what am I learning from actually experiencing teaching drama in the classroom, but also, you know, how does that chime with, you know, theories about our subject and how it's best to be taught? So I had to kind of think about who am I in that process? How do my students learn? I had to think, you know, not that I hadn't thought that before, but it just opened up this whole new conversation about things like clinical reasoning, which is something that student teachers are supposed to develop in a clinical research upon clinical practice model, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, trying to use all those different types of knowledge and synthesize them and then make a decision based on, you know, crunching down all of that knowledge and and also who are the pupils in that equation because they'll be dealing with different pupils in different placements. 
And then I needed to think about the unique aspects of my subject as well. And we're also in the middle of curriculum reforms in Wales that are moving us towards a much more integrated cross-curricular model um, for teaching and learning. Drama has got a history of being on the fringe of the curriculum and actually being completely outside of the national curriculum in Wales and beyond. So I felt it it was sort of incumbent on me to make sure that I was making a contribution in my doctorate to what is unique about drama pedagogy and also the role of the drama teacher. And I've always been really interested in the parallels and the potential crossover between what a director does, a theatre director specifically does when they work with actors in a rehearsal room and how that might be similar to um, and in some ways exactly the same maybe and in some ways completely different to what a drama teacher does in the classroom, how they work with their learners. And it also led me to wonder about novice theatre directors and novice drama teachers and whether there was any crossover in the way that we need to train them to work with pupils and to work with actors. So I thought, okay, here's an opportunity. And I guess that kind of change in ITE and the reforms in ITE brought that um, new dimension because first of all my prof doc I thought I'm just going to investigate you know the crossover between the roles of the theatre director and the drama teacher but then this whole new kind of reform to initial teacher education made me kind of add this new layer of well what's let's think about how they train and uh, is there anything that we can learn that that I could maybe contribute to the theatre director training um, sphere um, with my doctoral research as well so that's kind of in a nutshell what it kind of all meant for me and those are all things that we've talked about loads you know we've we've probably mentioned on the podcast we're very aware of a lot of these things having lived through them but also when you were doing this I noticed that you broke some new ground for us by um you know investigating the world of change management which all kind of sounds a little bit dangerously managerial so I think you might be heading towards being my boss before very much longer (laughs) but yeah it sounds kind of interesting that there is an academic literature around change and and I I know I had a sneaky read of some of the stuff that you'd written about that and it it was it was a whole new world for me so kind of what were the what were the really interesting insights that came out of that world once you'd kind of you know bravely walked into that new area Yeah, okay, so this was actually a really challenging part of this. It's probably the most challenging part of this assignment because it was so new to me and it's so huge. It's it's as with anything, as soon as you start to look into a brand new field, you realise that you're really kind of just chipping away at a tiny port or you're going to have to manage it so that you're not biting off more than you could chew. But yeah, the, the kind of the field of change management and organisational change and leading change um, is is really big. But what I did notice straight away, as soon as I started kind of, you know, with trepidation, cracking open some of these books, that there's a lot of crossover in terms of sort of theories around learning and theories around change. You know, it's they come at it from a philosophical perspective and you know what is your philosophy for change and are you trying to change people are you trying to change systems are you trying to change structures you know what is it that you're trying to change but also um, from a highly sort of practical and pragmatic perspective you know what model what tool is going to be best for the job so 
even though I felt like I was sort of treading into territory that was really new to me, I found that there was a lot of crossover. And I, I kind of always had a hunch that this might be the case because I, I've spoken quite a lot about my partner on this programme before, but he's from the field of engineering and his company have been through a lot of changes in recent years. And I found that, you know, a lot of the literature that he's been engaging with in terms of change has chimed with stuff to do with educational theory. So things like growth mindset, when you're trying to change people's behaviours, when you're trying to change people's perspectives and therefore trying to affect changes that are going to kind of I suppose in the business world make you more efficient make you more money and produce a better outcome for your end user then you have to kind of try and harness and tap into what drives people what motivates them so things like growth mindset come up and and you know this was really reassuring really that something that I thought was going to be really difficult for me and challenging I was going to try and make a square peg fit into a round hole was actually something that I could make work for me so long introduction to I had to kind of think from a philosophical perspective what was I trying to change and I think at the heart of it what I realized was that I was trying to change people and within the world of organizational change there is a field of change management called gestalt perspective so gestalt perspective is where you're trying to change the individual So for Gestalt field, psychology changes a process of gaining or amending insights, outlooks, expectations or thought patterns. And this was quite a find for me because I realised via looking at this literature that what I needed to do was try and understand the perspectives of the different kind of key players within my situation. So the mentor's perspective and their perspective on their role, the student teacher's perspective and how they like to learn you know the theatre director's perspective what their needs are as a novice and a learner and how they're going to learn best the pupils and the actors perspective when they're working in a rehearsal space and what works best them I realized that at the heart of the change that I was trying to make were the individuals so I alighted upon some theory that helped me to sort of back that up But then on a kind of brutally sort of pragmatic, I've got to get this done perspective, there are lots of different models for change in the world of kind of business. So the one that's probably most familiar to listeners, and maybe you've heard of it, is the Cotter plan. I'd heard of Cotter. And um, I can't tell you a great deal about um, his change management model because I didn't decide to go for that one because I'd already decided it was people. People were at the heart of of what I was trying to change was that I needed to look for a model that um, really is a kind of humanistic approach. And that's when I came across the work of Hemeling. And Hemeling, again, is kind of in the business enterprise sort of world. And um, his approach is... It's supposed to support people who are trying to affect change in what he calls the era of always on transformation. So what he's trying to say there is that, you know, we're always, always trying to transform. We're always trying to keep up with the times. And uh, and I guess that kind of chimes with this idea that Donaldson talks about, about future proofing a curriculum. If you make a curriculum that is immediately outdated, then you know, you're constantly going to have to be sort of re- revitalising it. But if you create a model that is going to be flexible enough that you can um, be agile and move with the times, then you know, maybe that's going to have more longevity. 
So Hemmerling's five strategic imperatives was the one for me. And thinking again about brevity, just in a nutshell, it's about kind of inspiring people, first of all, by connecting the need for change with a deeper sense of purpose. So what I needed to do was to, you know, really connect my mentors and my drama teacher trainees, you know, with with the kind of vision and the purpose for the change, which is obviously, you know, the the move to a new ITE model and also the curriculum reforms in Wales, but also that, you know, we need to make stake a claim for our subject, particularly for a subject that is always trying to battle against being pushed out of the curriculum. Um, And then you've got to look for ways to kind of invest in people, give them the tools and the resources that they need in order to transform, create a culture of continuous learning and self-development. That's another of the kind of tenets of this strategic imperatives approach of Hemmerling. And that really spoke to me because, you know, we're in a context now in Wales where we're trying to encourage schools to work as learning organisations. And also within ITE, we believe in things like research and inquiry as really important tools within the student teacher and the qualified teachers arsenal for helping them to continuously develop and giving them agency and giving them the tools to be able to constantly be able to solve problems themselves and also look to you know best practice and, and research informed practice to do that so Basically, just to conclude there, there were lots of things to that model, bits of that model that I thought really were in the spirit of what I was trying to achieve with my professional doctorate. And it's a highly condensed piece of work because it's only seven and a half thousand words, this opening salvo of your head D, but we can see from that that... It encompasses a a really broad sweep of education reform, you know, curriculum reform, ITE reform. It it encompasses all sorts of interesting kind of baggage that the subject of drama has, extends it out to to the theatre world and then tries to put it in the context of all this, this change management theory. And then, of course, at the end of it, you have to sort of draw those threads together. And in the process of drawing those threads together propose what you are going to do so just all of that is is just setting the scene and making the proposal for the work that you're going to do so what how would you sum up what you've got so far and where you're jumping off now what what you're going to do next yeah okay so uh, this is where things like you know well this is where being a teacher helps because (laughs) you can't stay up in the lofty heights of kind of reading and knowledge for too long if you're too conceptual you've got to bring it into land at some stage and think right what am I actually going to (laughs) do and what am I aiming at here so I've got an aim and I've got objectives they will probably change everyone always says that they change uh, by by the end of it but at the moment my aim is to conceptualise the intersections, so that the crossovers in knowledge, pedagogy and practice in the education and training of drama teachers and theatre directors. So what I'm envisaging is that I'll be able to create some kind of conceptual framework where I can say, this is where what students, drama teachers need to know and what theatre directors need to know and the different approaches that they need to adopt and the ways of working in classroom and rehearsal room this is where they collide and this is where they can maybe learn from one another and maybe have something to give um, to both kind of realms and in order to sort of make that operationalized my objective 
objectives are to identify the parallels between the role and pedagogy of the drama teacher in the classroom and the theatre director in the rehearsal room. So the first step for me is going to be to look to literature to find out if other authors and, you know, empirical research has, has tried to investigate that already. And I kind of know that they have. Try and find out where the where the intersections are try and get a deeper understanding as well about the role of the mentor because I know sort of anecdotally that well I know in on my own program that the drama mentor is a really important part of the um, training and education of drama teachers but I also know that theatre directors often work with a kind of mentor sort of person as well so they often do some kind of placement in a theatre and they're tasked with being sort of an assistant director. And I'm really interested about, you know, how, how that role works and, and look to see if there's any um, anything to learn from looking at that. And then obviously I want to be able to create some professional learning opportunities off the back of that to share what I've found with my drama mentors, with colleagues like me who train drama teachers and with people in the theatre directing world. So at the moment, that's the plan. And my next big step, um, my next kind of assignment is to do a literature review. And I suppose on a point about research there's there's a stereotype that's never far away isn't there of research as being essentially a bit kind of pointless and and a bit rarefied and maybe when you're talking about doctoral research that stereotype almost goes as far as to you know say that it's basically selfish and and pointless but are you finding it motivating knowing that this stuff is going to pop up in so many places by the time it's finished so many aspects of your practice and, and the drama world more widely yes Definitely. I'm, I, 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 what I've tried to do, and, and I know that people always say this when you're about to embark on either a master's thesis or, or a doctorate, is do something that you're going to be happy to live with for, you know, four to seven years of your life. I like to do amateur theatre directing in my spare time. So this doesn't just extend to, you know, who I am in my professional role. It also extends to my personal life and what I love to do. So I I feel that the learning possibilities here for me are endless. Um, And I think built into the ID, the prof doc, is also a really strong thread of reflection. And we know we've learned a lot from Professor Brendan Cropley about, you know, the power of reflection. So it's just... It's working really nicely in tandem at the moment with what I'm doing in my day job. And obviously I'm able to kind of drip feed some of this stuff into my work with mentors and my student teachers along the way as well. It's not like I can't do that until I've actually got the the credentials. I I feel like at each step of of the way I'm able to sort of share what I'm finding and and hopefully also include them as well as participants in my study um, at some stage too. So yeah, it's quite empowering and uh, and and enjoyable at this stage at this stage we'll check back later <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see if that's still the case well I mean if you're listening and and thinking you know maybe that that doctorate thing doesn't sound as as pointless and crazy you know and boffin like as I thought you know that the, it's good to know about the EdD as an alternative to the PhD. You know, if you're local to us, you could probably find out more about that from colleagues here at Cardiff Met. Obviously, if you're further afield, other institutions are available. I'm sure they'll they'll offer similar things. But you know, that's a strong recommendation. I think for those of us who are, are teachers to kind of keep things fresh and find out new things because it won't just sit on a shelf and gather dust. <laughs> Hopefully, absolutely. 
And despite the fact that you've been slaving away on that, and I've barely seen you for months while you've been working on that assignment, you have been good enough to turn up with the homework slots ready to go as well. So, you But know, of course. Oh, gold stars for you, Emithea. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose the least I can do is ask you which one you want to do first. Um, well, I'll stick with the, the one that's sort of most closely linked to my um, professional doctorate. So... Um, My something to try, I will start with, and it's a really simple one. So at its heart, my doctorate is kind of an invitation for drama teachers to think like directors. And there was some CPD that was done really recently by a company called We Teach Drama called Think Like a Director. And this was just one of the sources that I drew upon that makes a strong case for me having a look at this area. So I... I would recommend to listeners, particularly if you're in secondary, um, but I, you know, definitely do this if you're a primary practitioner as well, is to look to the professional world and the um, employability options that are linked with your subject discipline. And just as a bit of a thought experiment, just consider which kind of practitioners in that world or which kind of job roles chime um, with the teacher persona of your subject discipline and I just invite you to kind of consider thinking like I don't know think like an engineer think like a composer and and that might lead you and open up some doors or just consolidate what you already knew about what your role is and what your what is distinctive about your pedagogy within your discipline and within your field Nice. Okay. Um, what would you like to do next? Oh, I'll do my um, something interesting because it's another example of why collaboration is so important. And, and Twitter's great for this. It's, this is nothing too deep, actually. Emily Bater is someone who I've mentioned before on the podcast. And she, I know she listens a lot. So this, I know that she's probably going to send me a little message going, you mentioned me again. But um, I, uh, she often pops up on my Twitter feed. And, and this time she'd been reading uh, something over half term. And I always love a book recommendation. I never know what I want to read for myself. So I, I always uh, look to recommendations from others. Um, and she wasn't recommending this to me. She was recommending it out into the Twitter sphere. And it's a novel that I would norm- wouldn't normally go to read, which I quite like. I like reading, sort of ranging, lots of different genres. So it's The Spy Who Came In From The Cold by John Le Carre. And it's just a brilliant Cold War spy novel by kind of double agents um and it was it was quite short as well um but really kind of economical use of uh, uh, of language and just really uh, just dark quite dark actually really dark um and I've been to Berlin as well and I'd like to go back actually and, and look at in more detail at um, the Cold War period so yeah I would recommend that great novel if you've not read it yeah, yeah, another mention for Emily Beta at Emily K. Beta, if you want to give her loads of followers. Hey, there you go. Oh, she's fantastic. Great teacher and really does um, do a lot of sharing on Twitter. Wonderful. Okay, and a well-being tip to wrap this episode up. Okay, I'm going to be massively self-indulgent. If I haven't already been, this has been an episode all about my research, so I'm just going to end it off in the same way. If, you, if you've not done so, if you've not been able to do so during lockdown, um, then I would recommend going to your local beach or to a beach that you've always wanted to travel to, um, that you particularly like, and try some kind of water sport in the sea. I'm a big fan of surfing. I'm a big fan of the sea. I'm a big fan of just getting in the sea, you know, if you've got the right 
attire to stay warm obviously um so if you've got a wetsuit or if you can hire one and the place i would consider or i recommend starting is just having a go on a bodyboard do some bodyboarding i cannot advocate um highly enough the well-being benefits of just being in the sea in the elements but um if you want to dabble then hire a foamy which is like a foam surfboard or um, a bodyboard give it a go and i promise you 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 won't uh, be dissatisfied and now we're allowed to go to the sea so get yourself to the sea exactly (laughs) (laughs) wonderful well thank you emma because you've done the uh all the hard work in this episode um definitely sustained us through another one so thanks for bringing that you're doing some amazing work on that research i really enjoyed reading it and i hope that it all carries on in much the same vein for you and that you'll be Dr Thayer before too long. Oh, gosh. Fingers crossed for me, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we've all got our fingers crossed to see you at graduation with, uh, I don't know, do we get a silly hat here? Oh, uh, we do. A silly oh, hat. I don't know. Maybe. No, I think it's, it's probably the same mildly silly hat for, for us. <laughs> <laughs> graduation gear is a whole world of fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and always too big because it's designed for men. But that's a side point. We'll get into that. Yes, back to Caroline Criado-Perez and her <clears throat> yeah. data-driven... <laughs> sexism in clothing sizes and all of that yep okay well we will be back um soon when we're going to turn the tables and i'm going to talk about the doctoral research that i am doing yes looking forward to Ooh. questioning you about that yes, not sure i am but so we'll we'll uh, bring that to you next time um, but until then that's the end of another episode i hope you enjoyed hearing the birds the rain and the various vehicles going past uh, our open skylights and we'll be back in a fortnight see you soon You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Thanks to Emma for drawing the short straw and agreeing to talk about her doctoral research today. You can find Emma on Twitter at ethayer underscore cmu. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in your ears in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.